You're listening to Illini Life Audio, messages from a community of Christian believers on the campus of University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. For more audio and video content, visit IlliniLife.org. The work he did and is doing in his kingdom here on earth, right? This is very much proof of the passage we're going to look at today. Um, It's known in scripture as the parable of the sowers, or excuse me, the parable of the sower. Now, the quick and dirty and uncharitable, like, summary of this passage is Jesus tells a bunch of people a story about a farmer who plants a bunch of seeds in places, and they grow, and some of them, like, survive, and some of them don't. Um, And that's not an incorrect summary, right? But it leaves out how unbelievably critical it is to understanding Jesus' ministry. Um, So, like, as a bit of a side tangent, as Nick mentioned, also a grad student, I'm a PhD student here at the university, and I've had the chance to teach the Intro to Public Relations course here at the university for a couple semesters. Um, and what a lot, of, a lot of people know is we have a, an RSO on campus, a professional organization on campus called the Public Relations Student Society of America, the PRSSA. Uh, it's an extension of a larger nationwide organization for public relations practitioners. And this is for basically college students who want to go into public relations um, it's a chance for them to like work on campaigns and learn good principles and get industry experience. Um, and it's a thing that a lot of my students took part in. Um, well, for a university to have a chapter of the PRSSA, oops, I pace around a lot. That's another thing that's um, <laughs> worth getting acclimated to. Um, in order for a university to retain a chapter of the PRSSA, their public relations coursework needs to include remarks about the history of the field of public relations. So you need to have, whether it's a day, whether it's a week, whether it's a unit, you need to spend t- some time teaching students the foundations of how the PR field got to where it is, which is exactly as interesting as it probably sounds. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I, I'd be spending a week, it was, it was a semesterly ritual, right? And I'd have to be like, in 1920, Edward Bernays forwarded this social scientific research and Mark in, you know, early PR endeavors. Anyway, here's Wonderwall. Like, anything that could do to get me and my students through that week. Um, but I had to do it, because otherwise the students wouldn't understand how, how we got to where we are from where we were, and they wouldn't get the chance to take advantage of an organization like this. Uh, so by the same token, um, if we, as a church based in the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, didn't at least make you familiar with today's passage, um, like, I honestly believe we should lose a lot of credibility as a teaching staff, you know, number one, because, you know, champagne. I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but, like, a few cornfields on your way here. <laughs> um, it's thematic, as they say in the board game world. Uh, but also, as we're going to see, this parable serves as a framework for how Jesus teaches. It's a roadmap of sorts of what Jesus came to earth to do. So, like, if Jesus' ministry were a college course... This parable would be syllabus week. I'm about three weeks late to that joke, but for me that's pretty good. Just um, but so instead of your department's grading scale, this parable breaks down the kingdom of God and the people working within it. Um, and that sounds like required reading for me. Hopefully to you too. Um, so let's dive in. But first I'm going to pray. Would you join me doing that? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the chance to um, relive and re-experience, or maybe you've experienced for the first time the work of your son, um, the ways that he taught us, the ways in which um, he brought us closer to you. Lord, help us um, to know you better um, after looking at today's passage, after looking at your son's teaching. Um, and if there's anything that um, 
hinders me or my friends from that today may be stricken from their memory, taken out of my mouth, um, erased from today's proceedings, um, and may that which comes forth um, be of you and of how you're looking to grow us today. We love you and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. So the parable of the sower, I've used the word parable a lot so far, and it's not a word we use too much anymore, right? In fact, if anything, like, the whole reason it's in the public consciousness is because, like, it's used to describe this form of teaching that Jesus did. Um, and there's a reason for that. He used a whole bunch of parables, right? We're going to look at this one, and we're going to look at another one later in the semester, the parable of the tenants. Those are kind of like the two big ones. But there are a couple dozen parables from Jesus that are recorded across the four Gospels. It was, it was a pretty characteristic part of how we talk to people, right? So it's important to understand exactly what a parable is. So broadly, we might already have a sense that it's like an illustrative story used to communicate some point or to like teach a certain aspect, right? And yeah, kind of. It's partially true. But we need to be careful to understand that a parable is not the same as a fable. Okay, so that, that's something that, especially if you're like me and you grew up kind of following Christ and, and living in the church, like these things kind of get simplified a little bit. Um, and we confuse it with things like, you know, the tortoise and the hare, right? Anyone, anyone hear that at the daycare, right? Like, tortoise and the hare in a race. Hare takes a nap, and the tortoise pulls ahead and crosses the finish line ahead of the hare. Um, and, we, and we come out of that with a pretty simple moral, right? PE class is overrated. <laughs> Doing anything meticulously is going to be better than rushing through it, right? And we, put parable, and we put parables in sort of that same, like, allegorical category, um, but we need to be wary of that. Right? It's not a simple allegory or metaphor where one thing represents just one other thing. Okay, and because of that, parables don't really boil down to one single point. Um, fun fact, they also don't boil down to three single points, but uh, that's what we're keeping it to, otherwise we'll be here all day. Um, so they're not simple parables, they don't just boil down to one thing. Let's talk about, though, what parables are. So parables are representative, ambiguous stories that have significance on several levels. Right, representative, ambiguous stories that have significance on separate levels. So the representative, it gives us a concrete notion, it gives us a concrete language of some abstract concept that we'd otherwise have a hard time understanding. It's ambiguous. We don't necessarily have the whole story, right? We're not, it's not always clear what abstract thing we're supposed to be understanding and that it has significance on several levels, it's gonna mean something different depending on your relationship to the kingdom of God when you hear it. Now, I wanna offer a quick disclaimer real quick, real quick because someone's gonna walk out of here and be like, this, this guy got up in the middle of church and said that like scripture is up to interpretation and anything goes, no, okay? <laughs> I wanna be very clear about that. Like, there are things that Jesus meant with these parables and there are things that Jesus did not mean with these parables. But depending on where you are and your walk with him, depending on how you already relate to the kingdom of God, you're going to see different things in here. They're all powerful commandments. They're all things that will grow us closer to God, but someone who's walking with Christ for the first time um, this week and someone who's been walking with him um, for decades, right? They're going to see different things. Um, they're going to see their own implications and have their own takeaways from Jesus' teaching here. Um, the example I... So, like, a running joke when I teach is that I can't get through a sermon without making a movie reference, so we're just going to get this one out of the way. <laughs> Who's seen Inception in here? Anybody? Oh, yeah. yeah, like, 
Crazy good movie. Okay. So, like, it's a science fiction movie from, from 2010. It's got Leonardo DiCaprio starring as this, like, unique thief guy who can go into people's dreams and, like, put ideas in there and take ideas out, and they wake up, like, knowing and not knowing things that they... It's this weird conceptual thing. Um, and in order to be able to tell whether or not he is existing in a dream world or not, he carries around this little top thing in his pocket, right? And he spins it. And the idea is if he's still in the dream world, the top is going to keep spinning, right? But if he's in the real world, the top, and he's, like, not in a dream, he's in full existence, the top will eventually topple over. Right? So the whole premise of the movie is this guy offers him one big final job, do this really hard mission, um, go into this guy's dreams, put, like, put something into his subconscious, and then come back out, and then, like, he's got this criminal record, and he'll say, I'll pull some strings, your criminal record will be clear, you can go home to your family and live the normal life that you've been robbed of the past couple of years. So he goes, he does the thing, the movie happens, he comes out of the guy's dreams, he goes home to his family, he puts the, table on the, he puts the top on the table, he spins it, it keeps spinning, maybe it looks like it's about to topple over, and then it cuts to black, oh, right? Yeah. They don't tell us if the top <laughs> falls over or not. And if you are a movie fan at all, this set people into a riot. Yeah. yeah. Like, everyone was having debates and discussions. Did the top fall over? Did it not fall over? Well, there's arguments for this, and Christopher Nolan, the director, hasn't said anything about it. <laughs> and then people started to go, well, is that even the right question? Does it matter? if the top fell over. Does it matter if he's in the reality and everything? You know, there were levels upon levels of this discussion because, like, the top was inviting us to consider other things, right? Mm. Uh, superficially, maybe there was an answer whether it fell over or not. But then we started answering, well, is that even the point, right? Are there bigger concerns at play? Is he maybe making a commentary on the issue of endings, right? Like, do we need, <laughs> do we need a clear ending at all? Uh, and the big difference in this metaphor here is that, like, Jesus has provided us the answer to whether or not the top falls over um, with a parable like this. But it's, a, but, it, but it's a similar idea, right? If we're looking for clear, easy answers, we're going to get them a little bit, but we're going to need to look a little further um, to unpack what he's after here. So in that vein, we're going to look at the parable of the sower from two different lenses this morning. We're going to look at the personal implications of the parable. So we don't want to get too lost in the weeds or in overthinking here. Like, there are practical calls on our life found in, in Jesus' words here. And even as we go deeper into the parable, we don't want to miss this. Okay? But then we're also going to look at the kingdom implications of the parable, is, is the phrase I'm going to use. And what I mean by kingdom implications is, so Jesus' teaching here goes beyond things that we, like, personally can change about the way we live. That is some of it. But the parable of the sower and Jesus' other parables on top of that, right, paints a picture of Jesus' broader character and his mission. So we've said it over and over now. It gives us insight into who he is, why he came to earth, and even thousands of years later, what he's doing in our lives even now. All right, so with those two categories in mind, we're going to dive in. Uh, we're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4. As I said, if you've got your Bible, um, you want to open up to there, or a Bible app, you want to navigate to there. Um, either way, in general, the words of our passage uh, for a given a week will almost always be up on the screen to follow along with. We're in Mark chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 2. All right, so Jesus is chilling in a boat. And then as is usually the case in this point of biblical history, like he was speaking to a huge number of people. And he's teaching. So he's, he launches into these parables, these illustrative stories. Um, and one of them is the parable of the sower. 
So the text says this, right? He was teaching them many things in parables, and in his teaching he said to them, Listen, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and hundredfold. And Jesus said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So immediately we start to notice the, par- the sort of formula for these parables here. Right? Out of nowhere, Jesus starts talking about farming. Um, and we get that this isn't like an ACES seminar or anything. Jesus is after something here. But we aren't entirely sure what it is just from reading it. Right? So immediately a few questions come to mind, or at least like they did for me. Um, and maybe like they did for you too as you read this on your own or like studied it in your small groups together this week. Maybe you're like, so what? Like, are we the seeds? Are they talking about little, literal seeds? Like, what's going on here very textually? Um, and like for me, the question always was like, if you're going to tell us that planting seeds, whatever those are, like in good soil, that's what you like to the harvest, right? Like, that's, that's the good stuff. Like, why bother mentioning the other soil? Why, like, why even bring it up? It's ambiguous, right? And Jesus doesn't immediately offer an explanation to these people. And then he kind of ends it off with, then he just sort of goes into, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. And I'm like, ha, ears, a corn joke. That's, that's good, Jesus. <laughs> but like, seriously, what do, you, like, what do you mean by that? Well, this is to say Jesus' disciples, so the people who were like with him as he traveled and as he taught, had a lot of questions themselves. And they were probably the same ones that we might ask ourselves. And so we read about that, and so we read about sort of what they had to say about it in verse 10. And so when he, Jesus, was alone, those around him with the twelve asked Jesus about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He goes on, he says to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? Oh, finally, answers. Here we go. The sower sows the word. And these, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown, when they hear. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. So there we go. As they say in Dr. Strange, the answers are in the back of the book. Um, and so, like, conveniently enough, I think it's worth going, it's, go, it's worth unpacking this a little bit, but we're going to go through it backwards. Because weirdly, Jesus puts, like, the really interesting stuff at the end of the thing, right? He goes into this cryptic, 
story about a farmer, and then he lays it out for us kind of at the end of, of this private conversation with his disciples here at the end. Let's go through this backwards. We see the Jesus and lots of forests, and there are practical things at play here, right? So the seeds that are being sown are the word of God, right? We can imagine that well. Like the farmer planting the seeds in the soil are teachers, like Jesus, like religious leaders, sending the word out to people, right? Letting it be known near and far um, to, the people that the, to the people that they're talking to, to the people in the area. And we see the bad kinds of soil, the ones that destroy the plants, um, as things that get in the way of the word, right? We have the bird eating it. You know, Satan twisting scripture for his own purposes. We see the sun scorching the grown seeds because there's no roots, there's no foundation that we can base our faith on. There are things that distract us from the word, like the pursuit of material riches, deceitfulness. <laughs> so we can look through that and say, all right, great. You know, Jesus, Jesus lays that out. In hindsight, we could, we could have probably guessed that, right? So, like, my question at first kind of comes in there. Great, so this is, just, this is just a lesson, right? Why doesn't Jesus say, plant your seeds in good soil, because that's what's going to make it grow? And I think there's, a, there's an interesting answer hidden in that. So, all right. Audience participation time, ready? What's the first word that Jesus says in this passage? Listen. Listen. So what might keep us from listening to something? Distraction. Distractions. Work. Work. Ourselves. Ourselves. Like... If we think we already know something, are we going to be more likely or less likely to listen to it? It's like, how many times have we sat through, you know, the introductory lecture in class, or, you know, we skip the instructions at the beginning of the get oh, I know all this. Or we don't attend to it. We don't think we need to know it. So Jesus is cautioning us here against thinking we have already grown beyond um, what we have to share here. Oh yeah, Lord, I've, I've planted my seeds in the word of God. I'm already growing. I'm good. Like, we could skip this lesson. Yeah, maybe. But um, remember that time it wasn't culturally expedient to follow Jesus, so you decided, eh, you know, maybe the word of God ain't all that. Or, you know, yes, Lord, I'm in the word, but, you know, I'm this Christian recording artist who wants to, you know, modernize Psalm 23 for the 500th time, and I got to make sure my song is, like, biblically accurate. So I'm going to go into the word long enough to, you know, record this fire track, um, and then I'm out. Like, I'm just going to go pursue my own thing. Even those who have been following Christ for decades, like, obviously, if you're new to this, this might be a change in pattern for you, right? Maybe you've seen distraction. Maybe, you, like, you haven't been noticing distractions in your own life. Maybe this is the first time you've ever been called to move away from those. Um... But it shows us that it's about, about more than planting our seeds in good soil, right? Even the spiritually mature are in danger, and we need to make sure we're listening. Like at the very end of the passage here, Jesus gives the most fundamental implication of the parable, which is that we are called to listen regardless of spiritual maturity. There are pitfalls waiting for us regardless of where we are um, on our walk.
and this could be anything, right? Family issues, health scares, trauma. Um, like, I, I can think of any, like, who in here hasn't lost a loved one and been like, you know, where was God? Like, is he worth following? If we're honest with ourselves, right? So that's the first part, right? For any of this to make sense, we gotta humble ourselves enough to be listening, regardless of where we are. And we're gonna scooch back a little bit now um, to before Jesus explicitly lays out the parable. So he responds to the disciples' confusion in a couple of interesting ways, right? But he comes at them in a little bit, starting in verse 13, right? Kind of classified. He's like, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? And, like, that's a little bit funny. Like, if I'm a disciple right now, I'm like, wait, there are more parables? What the heck did I sign up for? Like, I don't get this one. It's like, like when, you, when you take that first test in calculus or orgo and you bomb it, it's like, well, there's my grade. I might as well just sleep through this class now. I'm done. But, like, I think there's, there's something worth distinguishing here. In case it wasn't clear, Jesus isn't just talking about the parables he's sharing in his gospel, right? He wants us to be familiar with parables, right? He wants us to be familiar with the form. He wants us to know, like, why he's using parables. And why is that? Because in the kingdom of God, right, the teaching of God can't stop with him. Right? Jesus, like, Jesus is laying out an explicit understanding that it's not only important that you understand like, what I'm telling you right now, you've got to be able to turn it around and tell it to someone else. Right? You gotta, and you've got to let it like, speak to your life like, after he's gone. Right? Because Jesus had already said at this point, we, I think we passed over in our study. Um, if not, we're going to get to it in a little bit. Like, Jesus has, has already told them that he's here to do something pretty scary. Like, at some point, the Son of Man is going to die. He's going to leave the earth. And the kingdom of God has to have, has, has to have teachers on the earth after that happens. Um, and that's why God left us his unchanging word to speak into every aspect of our lives. Um, but we can't apply God's word to ourselves or to others, right, if we're not studying it, understanding it, and reflecting on So I had a professor, um, I took a few education, I did like a minor in education um, in college, and I had an education professor who every day would tell us, in order to be a world-class teacher, you need to be a world-class student. Um, I can tell you I'm not a world-class teacher because I was not a world-class student. <laughs> um, if, if there's any truth to that, right? But what are we understanding, right? Like. In order to fulfill the mandate of going out and teaching, of going out and interacting with others, like we need to have the material down ourselves. We need to have the processes down. We need to understand why things are the way they are. So we're simultaneously in the kingdom of God acting like as students and as teachers, which is kind of cool, right? And the student-teacher dynamic, it's not just here, right? I'm not just pulling this out of here. It is explicitly foreshadowed back in the Old Testament. In the prophecies of Isaiah, when we're talking about Jesus, in Isaiah we see in chapter 50, um, verse 4, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens, he awakens my ear, to hear as those who are taught. So we're not just here to listen, we're not just here to consume, 
right? We're here to be students of the word so that we can then turn around and go out and do it. I mentioned implications for the kingdom, as Pharaoh had, right? What it looks like to understand what Jesus was doing here. So he didn't just come here to teach. He came here to create teachers. Anyone here an education major? Over there? Yeah. All right, we got one over here. Um, good news, it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, much love. But, like, have any of you ever thought of yourselves as teachers before? Like, even if you're not standing in front of a classroom, even if you're not, like, up here sharing a Bible message, even if you never public speak in your sector, you in your setting, in your classrooms, in your dorms, in your place of business, are a teacher. Even if you're just modeling for others what a life of Christ might look like. Why is it important that the disciples understand parables? And not just these parables in Mark or in the Gospels, but any parable at all? Because those who are taught in the kingdom of God are called themselves Jewish. And by the way, when I mentioned that everyone needs to listen, regardless of spiritual maturity, that other thing, um, and you know, that's, that's pretty personal, that's something we can do something about, uh, there's a kingdom side to that one too. Um, when you do work for the kingdom, when you go out as teachers, when you go out as, as, as interactors with others, sometimes seeds aren't going to bear fruit. Like, you've know, like, and this comes back to it, right? Why does Jesus go into the bad soil, right? Why bother? Why is it important to know that, like, if you plant seeds in your thorns, they're going to get choked out? And if you plant seeds where they can't, in, you know, rocky ground where they can't grow roots, then the sun's going to scorch them out. Because otherwise we miss that the farmer didn't just plant seeds in good soil, right? When you're sowing seeds, you plant them everywhere. You spew them out. That was at least, you know, the farming, the farming practice um, in this particular part of the world in Bible times. But, like, that's anywhere. Right? When we're going out um, in coffee tent, has anyone, by the way, rep for coffee tent, has anyone Friday, Friday morning, or, well, Friday afternoon yeah. now? Like, that's such a great time. If you've never been, you absolutely got to stop by. It's a great time. Like, lots of hot drinks. Um, get to meet a lot of cool people. Um, but what if we just gave coffee to people who are like, that person looks like they're looking for a church. Or that person looked like they had an orgo test and could really use some coffee. <laughs> no, it's like, we, like, we want to go ahead and talk to everybody. Rega like, regardless of where they are. Um, and guess what? Like... Most people we talk to at coffee tent, they're not looking for a church, right? They grab the cup of coffee, they walk off and take the rugger test. But you don't know what kind of seed was planted with that conversation. Like the awkward talk with your roommate who doesn't seem like they're interested in church at all. Like, what if you just ask them what, what they believe spiritually? If they shut it down as soon as you get to Jesus, like, what if that openness does something? What if you open the door to other conversations later on? Like, as, a, as, as an actual, like, classroom teacher myself, like, this is sometimes a scary message, because it's like, thankfully most of you, you know, I look out and you're not on your phones and not falling asleep, and you're, like, at least somewhat paying attention. And when I went and, like, looked at PR, you know, everyone's on their phone or falling asleep or 
I talked through online shopping one time in my classes. I don't know, like, why that's a thing, but... But, like, it's demoralizing sometimes to think, oh, I am not getting through to these people. Um, but you never know, right? And as teachers, we, we can still sow seeds, right? We can go out, we can sow in faithfulness. Now, there's one section... Um, I have left out as we kind of go through our backwards uh, road through this passage because I think it's possibly like the scariest part of Jesus' response to the, to the disciples' confusion here. Um, it's the first thing he says once they come to him and be like, dude, what's up with the parables? Um, so after the disciples ask him, hey, Jesus, what's up, what's up? Jesus responds, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see but not perceive, and may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Anyone read that and get the ick a little bit? Because like when you read that superficially, it's like, oh man, like does Jesus not want people to turn around? Like, does he not want people to be on the inside of the kingdom? And this isn't Jesus gatekeeping the kingdom here. This is Jesus just basically very clearly delineating um, which side is which here? Those who may see but not perceive, those who may hear but not understand. Um, not super interested, like, not super interested in those folks, right? If we're being honest, like, again, we're going back to people who not just hear the word, but study on it, meditate on it, um, learn it well enough to teach it to others. Jesus wants, like, Jesus acknowledges that, like, people in the kingdom of God are the people who lean in. If you notice, like, once the disciples crowd around him, he says, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. It's those who chill out with Jesus and be like, hey, Jesus, what's up? It's those who stood and listened. It's those who, who gathered around him. To which he said, to you the secret of the kingdom of God has been given. People who are just listening, for people for whom this is just like a podcast they have on in the background, they've got some hard work to do. And this, I think, leaves us with like two really major principles in this passage, and they're ultimately the two most critical. The first thing to understand is that to follow Jesus is to be in his presence and not just know what he says. And this is, like, what we mean when we talk about, if you've ever, like, heard your friends talk about, yeah, my faith is, is, it's a relational faith. It's not, you know, there's been the language, it's not a religion, it's a relationship. Right? It's why we do things like pray. It's why we do things like musical worship at, this, at the start of every service, and maybe even at other times. It's the reason we engage in fellowship um, at events like Breaking Bread. Right, Jesus is a God of presence. He doesn't want us to just like take these words and memorize them, right? He wants a living relationship with us right now. And if that sounds weird to you, if that's something that is like a foreign concept to you and you're like, what does that mean? I want to, let's talk afterwards. Because it's something I'm super excited about. It was a life-changing revelation for me. But for everyone else, it's always worth reminding, right? If we're not in Jesus' presence, 
then the kingdom of God, everything that Jesus came here to do, will forever be a mystery for us. And specifically, it's Jesus' presence. That's the kingdom implication here. The kingdom remains a secret to us, except through Jesus. It's going to foreshadow a truth that we're working our way towards in the gospel, that only through the death and resurrection of Jesus could we have any hope for coming out of death, this side of heaven, and into eternal life, into the presence of the Father, where we were meant to be, and where we were designed to be. So as we wrap this up, as we come to, as, as we come to the end of this, Right? We go through this, this first parable that, that Mark clearly delineates for us. We come back to the question that sort of guided our study so far, and we'll continue to guide it going forward. Right? Who is Jesus? Well, Jesus is the sower. The first sower, in fact. Jesus, the, Jesus set the example um, for spreading God's word, for, for teaching it, for understanding it, for internalizing it. He is and remains the ultimate precedent for living out adherence to the Word of God. But he's also our only access to the parts of the kingdom we don't understand. I mentioned that parables are ambiguous, right? Sometimes we're not going to understand exactly what we're supposed to be internalizing here. We may not know immediately what the seeds stand for. We may not know immediately what the sower stands for, or what the thorns of the sun, what, what role they have practically um, in our own lives. And neither did the disciples until they asked Jesus what was happening. And that's what Jesus calls us to do in our own lives, right? He wants us to come to him. He wants us to come to him with our uncertainties, with our unclarities with our lack of knowledge about his will for our life. Because that's how we can grow close to him, that's how we can grow close to the people um, he designed us to be. So as we add that to the list of other things we've learned about Jesus, he's a healer, he's the son of man, friend to sinners. <clears throat> Let's add sower and access to the mystery of kingdom to understand as we develop this patchwork, as we understand Jesus not just as a historical figure, um, but the Son of God who wants to know us even today. Did you pray with me?